Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Entry Level Podcast, where we talk about entry-level experiences in many forms, careers, relationships, business, side hustles, money, travel, and more. Because we believe if you're always learning and growing, then you will always be entry-level at something. I'm Sarah Dudley, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindsay Bernard. And today we're talking about a topic that will absolutely impact probably every single one of you at some point, and that is salary negotiation. So we recently had a series on the podcast about finance. It was you know personal finance and how to handle investments, how to handle money once you actually start making some money. But one of the fundamental pieces that we didn't really talk about yet is, you know, how do you negotiate that first salary? Or if you've already been working for a while, how do you start to talk about getting a pay raise or adding to that salary that you currently have? And the reason that we want to talk about it, a couple different things. First of all, nobody realizes how critically important this is because if you don't start as early in your career as possible negotiating your salary, this will end up costing you potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, over the course of your career. And especially for women, we particularly seem to find it challenging or we're not told or encouraged to negotiate our salaries as much as men may. And so for that reason, only about 7% of women have attempted to negotiate their first salary compared to 57% of men. So we're going to start to you know unpack that a little bit today and understand not only why it's so important, but also some tactics that maybe we've used throughout our career so far and things that we've learned along the way, maybe mistakes that we've made that we wish we hadn't uh-huh. as we've negotiated these things. So yeah, Thanks, Lindsay, guys. I will let you give a little rundown of, of some of your experience with the salary negotiation piece. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited to do this topic. This is one of those topics that I think makes people feel uncomfortable. And I think that, you know, Talking about it, and if we can give any advice of the struggles we've had or any good things we've done would be a good thing. So I'll just start with kind of my experience with it. I've always been in a type of sales career so far. So I learned very early on that when you're tied to any type of number, usually your package or your on-target earnings that you make is higher than you know most of your friends or other people in other industries that don't necessarily have their livelihood tied to a revenue number. Or, you know, basically I'm responsible for a certain amount of money to the company. So I learned about all of that very, very early right out of school because I had to understand how it worked. And I think from a salary negotiation standpoint, the first thing to understand is your comp structure, your salary structure. Like, and this is really entry level, Sarah, and I know it might be even too entry level, but a lot of people kind of sign up for jobs and they don't really understand the full context of their salary and what it entails and the benefits you get. And so my point is, you know, the first thing to look at, you know, when I get a number, let's say I got a first number, it's everything else, right? You know, is there stock purchase? What do the benefits look like? Is there options to match your 401k? Because you may find yourself in an entry level job that's paying, you know, 50 or 60k, but they don't give you good benefits. Or you may find yourself in an entry-level position that pays 45 to 55K, but you get amazing benefits and a 401k match. 
So I'm speaking to all of the very entry-level people just entering the workforce or maybe your first or second job that I truly believe it's very important to understand the package as a whole before you even start to think about negotiating because there are soft, usually hidden or soft costs or benefits included in that package. Does that make sense, Sarah? Did I explain that okay? Yeah, no, I think that's that's a great first step in understanding what you're actually getting because a lot of people, they only look at that number. Like you said, like maybe the salary offer is 50K. And for some people, that's the only thing they see. They don't think about, well, you know, are the health benefits any good? And when you're young, you don't necessarily need to think too hard about, in my experience at least, the health benefit piece, because you're probably not going to get super ill or have any major medical needs, you know, when you're in your early mid-20s, right? Unless you break a bone Mm -hmm. or jinx yourself and end up doing something terrible. (laughs) So some things you have to weigh differently, right? So if you're in your 60s and you're thinking about your benefits package, healthcare is probably way more important because because your healthcare costs are probably starting to increase. If you're in your 20s, maybe not as much. But when you're in your 20s, you do want to start thinking about your retirement fund, your 401k. Does the company offer a match to your salary? Because that could be an additional few thousand dollars, you know, without even having to do anything. If your company matches up to 5% of your salary for your 401k, which is something that mine does, depending on what your starting salary is, that can be an extra few thousand up to five or $10,000 a year, depending on whatever your salary is. So definitely things to be thinking about as you're starting to consider the full package of your salary for sure. Yeah. Yep. I definitely agree. And I think that so and the other thing that I like to do as well, and I know we did this a lot when we were first starting out is it is important to look at the industry that you're in. So some of the first things I do is look at, you know, okay, who are the competitors of the company I'm going to, regardless of what job you're in. It doesn't matter if you're going to be a janitor at the company. It doesn't matter if you're going to be an office secretary at the company or you're going to be a sales rep because there's so much data available to us now through Glassdoor, which is one example, even just Googling it. And you can see the average salaries for the different companies. And guys, honestly, LinkedIn is so available to everyone that more than enough people would reach and recruiters would have a conversation with you just if you have questions about this stuff. So what I like to do is just really see like where my offer or where the package is stacking up compared to some other things, you know, some other companies that are in my same industry and in the same, the similar job market. With that said, the reason I think that's good is because you may work at a Fortune 10 company that has this name recognition that everyone wants to work at that doesn't pay as much as a smaller startup type company or a company that's not as well known, but there's more chance for success at the bigger company long term. You see what I'm saying? Those hidden value, you know, cost value analysis of looking at the comp. And all of this stuff is research even before you get into the actual number, which I think, you know, we say a lot on here, education is key. You know, the first thing I do is, you know, look at all the hidden costs and benefits. And then I try to do as much research as I can to see, is this company on target? And if it is, great. Then we can kind of get into, okay, does this work for my life? You know what I mean, Sarah? Yeah, I think that research piece is critical when you're going into any type of salary negotiation, whether it's your first job offer or whether you're looking to ask your boss for a raise or you're moving into a new role within your company and trying to see if you are still at a competitive salary for what you're doing. I think multiple times that I've gotten pay increases are because I have gone and done the research and said, like, hey, you know, two years ago I was on point, but now I 
I'm probably somewhere here. Like, can we do something to get me up to where the market is? And so sometimes it's not going to be immediate, especially if you're already in a company. Sometimes you have to ask a couple of times, but that persistence is important, especially if it's something you really want. And I think, you know, whether it's your first job offer or you're just trying to progress within your company, Mm -hmm. I think doing the research is important because it gives you that foundation so that if, you know, you are interviewing and they come back to you with a number that is way lower than what your research is saying. So say you're looking at a marketing job and you've done some research that says the the going rate for that role based on, you know, what level of experience you have is 50k or 60k, so whatever it might be, and they come back and they say we'll give you 40k. Then you know that there's a huge discrepancy there between what you're seeing and what you're being offered and you should push for significantly more. However, if on the flip side you're seeing 50, 60k and they come back and they say, "Well, we'll give you 75." probably maybe you'll push just for the sake of pushing, but you're probably not going to push as hard if you feel like you're getting what you're worth, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Like Sarah, you brought up an internal kind of a, a job move, which we've both gone through several times. And I think that, you know, when I first started out, you knew this role was this much. You knew the next role was X. And then the third role was a certain amount and you were all working and competing to get to that third amount. But after that, it all went away. And so when I lost that kind of that foundation, you're like, oh, I see the number, you know, I see it, I see it. Oh, I have to move to San Francisco to get that prize number. Oh my God, wait, I'm in San Francisco. It's double cost of living here. I should have thought about that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there are things that happen. And when you're an internal employee, Sarah, you make a really good point. Sometimes they'll promote internal people over outside candidates because they can pay you less, which shouldn't be the case. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that the very hard way in my own career. I've learned that a very hard way in my own career. And I think that um, I'm trying to think of a really good example. When I was in San Francisco, I felt like I should have done a better job at asking about, we talked about this on moving for a job, asking about relocation, really thinking about how much everything was actually going to cost me to do things, you know, and I didn't do that. And so then I got myself into a situation where I didn't ask, but the next class after me, they did ask. So I found out that people were like a year or two later going for the same job I did were getting more than I got. And you're kind of like, why didn't I do this? So that was like a lesson learned for me that just because you're going for an internal job and you think you have that structure and that you can't do anything different, you know, you still should do the research like you mentioned, Sarah. Yeah, because I think internally, sometimes we think that, oh, you know, I don't want to be a nuisance. I They're already paying me well or whatever it might be. You know, maybe I'll just take the 2% raise that I get every year and be happy with that. But I think the, the way, and especially in big corporations to actually increase your salary, a lot of times it is taking a new role. It is progressing into maybe it's another business unit if that's how your company is organized. A lot of times you almost have to play the game to some degree to sometimes it means even leaving your current company and then coming back in a few years. And as crazy and weird as it sounds, like a lot of times they'll pay you more if you do that, if you leave and come back than if you just stay because you've left, you've proven what you're worth and now you're coming back and you're asking for that. And so it's a weird kind of game that you have to play sometimes. But I think it's something that people should be aware of that it's the unfortunate truth if you're working in a corporate environment sometimes that you kind of have to constantly be playing that game. But I think if you're trying to stay 
If you're internal, you're trying to get a pay raise in your current job, not only is the market research important, but I think also taking into account your performance within that company. You know, are you a top performer? Are, are there certain times of year where you're more likely to get a raise if you ask than other times of year? You know, Lindsay, I'm sure in sales, if you ask anything at the <laughs> no. end of your fiscal year, they're going to tell you to, yeah, no, <laughs> you know, so not just making demands, but also doing it in such a way that you're selling yourself on people, right? You're showing them this is what I'm worth. This is what the market would give me if I leave. What can we do to make it so that I want to stay? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I feel weird, and this is definitely like a women's perspective. I feel weird talking about salary and proving my worth and all that. I feel weird talking about it even on the podcast, but that's something that we have to break as women talking about money. Like, you are worth what you're asking for, even if it feels like for me, sometimes when I talk money, it's just crazy to me because I grew up with like, I mean, I think my parents made, you know, Mm -hmm. very, very low salaries and maybe not even salary. I don't think, you know, mostly hourly work. And so asking for high salaries to me is always uncomfortable. And so it's like I have to like mentally train myself to recognize that this is normal and it's hard sometimes. It's so uncomfortable. It's really, really uncomfortable. And But the thing that I always think about is if you don't ask, they can't say yes. They could say no, but they can't say yes. And so, you know, you have to always ask the question. And I don't like doing it either, Sarah, to, <laughs> to put that out there. But, you know, there's other things too. Like I mentioned at the beginning, different compensation packages and salaries contain different things. Like, you know, sometimes you may interview for a job and they say, okay, this is your base salary. And then each quarter you have the opportunity to get a bonus. Okay, what's that bonus look like? How are the metrics designed? How, you know, I think they call it management by objective. MBOs. I'm not sure, Sarah, if you have those, but I've had those before where, you know, if you hit the common goals, you get an extra bonus. So that can add on each quarter and that's part of your salary. And they try to, and, you know, it's something that you know that you can earn. From a commission standpoint, I know that, you know, a difficulty with commission is sometimes you, like with, for me, example, I'm 50 50, but I know that if I work hard and hit my numbers, I can, you know, over exceed. And those are the incentives to overexceed. So you're living on a base. And then when you book deals, you're getting your commission. So you're making the extra piece of your salary. And then you want to work hard and overexceed. So there's different ways to go to look at your salary when you're negotiating to be like, okay, what's the total cost over the year? And then I can't stress enough. And I'm going through this right now, like real time going through it. It's when you take a step back and we talked about this on the finance episodes, but how much does it really take you to live? right? Like how much do you really need per month to pay your bills, to pay your mortgage, to pay, you know, you want to pay off your credit cards and then to have a little to live or at least a little to save. And that's what I think about. Like when you really dial it down and think about what's your bare minimum, that really helps you and you take it from what does it cost me to live? You know, it gives you a jump off point of your non-negotiable cost. And I think that really helps me because it's like, as much as I love the job, like if I'm looking at a job to advance my career, that it may be a pay cut, but I know even if it's a pay cut, if I can get into this company, I can do this job internal or external, it's going to open so many doors for me and I'm willing to take a pay cut, but I'm not willing to sacrifice X. That really gives me a jumping off point or anyone, a jumping off point to know what you won't settle for. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think there's two sides to that though, right? There's what's the number in your mind that at minimum you need to make when you're going into the salary negotiation piece. I think that number should be an absolutely critical number for you. However, when you're actually negotiating, 
this is the advice I've heard. So Lindsay, I'm curious if you feel the same way. Don't talk about that piece of it when you're negotiating. Don't say, well, I need X amount of dollars to pay my bills. Like they don't really care what your bills look like. That's you. Like that's your personal number that you need because you have X amount of expenses. In their minds, they have a window of funds dedicated to that role. Mm -hmm. And if you're asking for a number that's in that window, you're probably going to get it. Of course, they have to negotiate. They come up with a number and they lowball you at first because they expect that you're going to ask for more. They expect you to negotiate. So if you're ever hesitant about whether you should negotiate, always at least try the first time because they're expecting you to. And so if you don't, you're automatically leaving money on the table. They may come back and say, no, this is hard and fast and you can push on it and whatnot, but they're expecting you to at least try. Yeah. So do that. But yeah, the point about having that number, you definitely want to know what that number is in your head. And I haven't ever done it myself. This is just some stuff that I was kind of reading, but basically... They don't care if you're going through a divorce. They don't care if you have high student loan debt. They don't care if you have credit cards you need to pay off. Yep. You know, that's not important to them. What right. they care about is, can they meet you in the middle? That's why I agree with you. Yeah. But I think that number I'm talking about is for you. It gives you a jump off point. Yeah. Because if they come back and you're like, in your head, you're like, this is my number and they're not close to it, it may not be worth it, is my point. And then, but at least you have a jump off point because if they offer you that amount and you're like, whoa, this is weird, internally, you're like, okay, I could do this, but then why not ask for more? Because then you know that this is going to be better for you. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to give up all your leverage all at once was kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. Like you want to hold your cards to you. One tactic that I use sometimes is I say, I'll be honest with employers and say, you know, I tell them what my comp is because I'm in sales and you can pretty much look it up anyway. So the thing is, usually if they really want you to come to the company from this type of role, I'm usually honest about where my comp is because they know that they're not going to be able to get a candidate if they don't incentivize someone to come. Mm -hmm. So I don't tell them my bottom line. I tell them what I'm making now and say, okay, if you can't at least do better than this, then why would I make the jump? You know, I kind of give them that leeway. I've done that tactic before. I've also done the tactic where I didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, you know, quite honestly, you know, I've done some research. It just, I always say I've, I've researched this and the market seems like the structures and the comps are really different. It depends on the company. So I was kind of hoping to get your guidance on how you thought this should be structured. Because then you can really see what they're thinking mm -hmm. and then kind of go from there. So I always try to like use those tactics to kind of get ahead myself. Those are two things that work for me. Yeah, no, I like that. And I think you can go about it definitely either way. I think that there's actually new laws being passed. And I don't know how I didn't look into how recently these laws were passed. But for states like Massachusetts, for example, employers are actually no longer allowed to ask you how much you currently make. Because technically, the job that you are interviewing for, they have a number in mind. They have a number of what that role is worth to them. What you currently make, their only intention of asking that question is to see if they can lowball you. Yeah. <laughs> and so if they have a role that in their heads is worth 75K and you come in and you say, well, I'm currently making 50. I really just want to make more than that. Yeah. They're going to be like, oh, great. We can get this person for 55K. They'll be pumped to get this job. Yeah. And so it's actually a question that employers are no longer allowed to ask, not in every state, but some states. But if it does come up, you can always say, even if it's not a law, 
you can always say, this is what I will accept for a salary. You don't have to say what you currently make. That's none of their business. That's between you and your employer. Yeah, absolutely. Don't have to say it. I tend to try to use it as a negotiation tactic. Yeah. And you can, I'll put this on the record. You can lie. You can say, (laughs) if you know you want them to pay you 75K, you can say, well, my current job pays me 70K. They have no way of knowing if you're telling the truth or not. And so it's really just how you want to go about the approach, I would say, more than it is, you know, what works and what doesn't. Every company is going to be different in how they approach it. And it totally is based on how well you interview, how well you engage with the company, what their typical process is like. There's so many factors when it comes into the negotiation process that there is no one right answer. Some of them will press you on a number and others, they won't even ask. They'll just say, this is what this role is going for. Is that acceptable? And so you're going to have different experience with every single company. So that's why it's just important for you to be as prepared as possible going into it because you don't know what their tactic is going to be. I've heard of companies even requesting to see like a current paycheck stub just to prove that that's what you're in fact making. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's illegal, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, you just never know what you're going to get. And I would also just say, like I mentioned, there's so many recruiters and so many people on LinkedIn that you can have conversations with to get an idea of what the offers are and where the market is. You know, to some kind of sum this up, in my opinion, it's don't give up your leverage, you know, figure out what works for you and, you know, don't give them too much or too little. I always find that me figuring out what my absolutely non-negotiable cost is helps me personally negotiate. Another tactic I usually think about is I never just put all my eggs in one job or one company or one basket, meaning if I make the decision, I'm going to interview. I try to interview at multiple different companies just to get a feel of the different interview processes and if I end up getting those jobs or not getting those jobs. So I have a learning experience and almost like I create another leverage point, you know, if I end up do getting the jobs and those really help me. And the other thing that's really helped me is talking to people internally that have gone through what you've gone through and the struggles they've had with compensation because things have come a long way, even since I started school about, you know, relocation and benefits and packages and, you know, minimum salaries people are getting. Like, Sarah, I think when we graduated, 35K was the average. And now I think it's already up to like 47K. I don't know if I have those numbers right. But as things are getting more expensive, different packages are getting better. So those are kind of my takeaways that I always try to do when I'm going to a salary negotiation. Yeah, no, those are definitely good ones. And yeah, I think my first job out of college, I didn't negotiate because I didn't know the first thing about negotiation of a salary and I was making 30K my first job out of college. So I've learned a thing or two since then, for sure. I will say like number one takeaways for me, always ask, even if you are already happy with what they're offering you, ask anyway, it doesn't hurt. The worst they can do is say no. And then also just be persistent when it comes to the internal stuff. If you're asking for a raise within your company, I would say I've encountered it a couple of times where I had to be very persistent for as much as, you know, six months or nine months. And then ultimately it worked out in my favor. And so you just have to continue to push on it if you know that that's what you're worth. And worst case scenario, you go somewhere that will pay you what you're worth. So It's always a win-win for you when you know that you have the skill set that they're looking for. And the thing about 
about negotiation is that both sides are trying to win here. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't need to be like a super aggressive situation. It just needs to be a conversation. Yeah. And if you're like, I know that I'm worth this and you need to meet me at, you know, halfway, you're not asking for the moon. You're not asking for a million dollar salary. You know, you're asking for what is reasonable in the market. And as long as you're doing that, then there's no reason it should ever get ugly or aggressive, you know? Yep. I agree. All right. Well, I think we covered hot topic today and now we're going to transition into (laughs) our favorite thing to do, which is our ending segment. I don't think we, we haven't done one in a little while. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, because we just hit April, we're going to do spring cleaning for our segment today. So I'm going to leave that topic wide open and start off and we're just going to talk about one thing that we're trying to do spring cleaning around. Yeah. So Lindsay, what is, what is your spring cleaning happening? Yeah. So I'm just going to be completely honest. I'm spring cleaning my life. Like I, this winter kind of killed me a little bit and I wouldn't say I had as winter depression this year. The snow wasn't as bad. Um, we did just get back from Jamaica, but I moved in December and I thought I did a really good job of like, you know, getting rid of things and clutter that I didn't need. And, but then I realized even moving into my new place that I still have like so many things I can donate and just get rid of. So I want to do another round of actually spring cleaning. I wanted to get on a new schedule, kind of just like, you know, start fresh in the spring and get more into a better routine than I was in the winter with time management, which I did do better. You know, I talked about that New Year's resolution in January, but now that it's nice outside, want to get, you know, going for more runs, going for walks in the morning. I just actually adopted a puppy. So that's good timing. (laughs) I'm thinking about changing just, you know, as I mentioned, I'm kind of reevaluating just different parts of my life work-wise and just things like that. So I'm kind of going through that midway. And I've just realized lately that, and Sarah, we've talked about this offline, but you know, the past, like, I'd have to say four to five months, I feel like in my group of friends and in my family and their families, I just feel like there's been a lot going on. I feel like my friends have had some terrible losses in their life, you know, that affect you, friends, parents. There's been some weddings. There's been some people getting laid off, some sick kids and things like that. And I just feel like everyone's really stressed. And I just want everyone to just be able to kind of start fresh this spring and have some positivity going into the summer and just kind of put these last few months behind everyone. I think it would be good for everyone. So that's kind of my take on the spring cleaning aspect. That's beautiful, Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I think Winter is always just like hard, hard in so many ways. Like you're just cooped up. Like in any bad thing that happens, it just feels like 10 times worse because it's just like gloomy and dark and miserable and cold. And so I'm totally with you. I feel like we're so ready for spring, just so ready for, you know, change and moving along. I think for me, one thing I want to do like spring cleaning wise, I don't even know if this really counts as spring cleaning, but I've decided to take a two week detox from TV because I found myself. Uh, I found myself just doing way too much like binge watching and letting it distract me from things that I really should be doing instead, like going to the gym and just working on other things that are more important than watching like three seasons of Shameless in one weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, all right, April 1st, I'm going to do two weeks until Game of Thrones comes back on the 14th (laughs) and then I'll reassess. So the next two weeks, no TV. That's my plan. I think that's a really good idea. I think that's smart and I think that's healthy. And yeah, I'm excited to see how you do. I know. We'll see. I'll let you know. We're on day one right now. So awesome. I'm already like getting antsy. 
now. Good stuff. All right. Well, this was a great episode. Hopefully, those some of those tips around salary negotiation are really helpful for people. And of course, you know, Lindsay and I, we haven't been working forever, but we've been working long enough to understand a little bit of the ins and outs of how this stuff works. So definitely reach out with any questions that you have or, you know, any thoughts or feedback or any experiences that you guys have had that would be helpful to share. So thanks again for listening. And you can follow us on Instagram at Entry Level Podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. (laughs) 